You are Locked On Women's Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Locked On Women's Basketball. I'm your host, Howard Magdal. I remind you, you can follow us on Twitter at both at Locked On WBB and, of course, all of our coverage of the women's game at Summit Hoops, two T's in honor of Pat. You can also like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes. Go ahead and make sure you are downloading our apps. Really, there's no excuse, no excuse not to follow all of the great work going on uh, over at the summit. And two of the people who are doing a great deal of that work are Ben Dull and Derek James, who are covering the Sparks and the Lynch for us, who you may have heard are having an epic final. So welcome to you both, and uh, I think we should get right into it. Uh, let's start with a look back at Game 2 last night. And Derek, I want to start with you. Because I want to talk about Rebecca Brunson a little bit. And something that was notable mm-hmm. to me in game one, not just that she shot one for six, you know, and you can say the one made field goal, but the six attempts total. Uh, when I've spoken to Cheryl Reeve about this, she's talked about the way in which Rebecca Brunson and her safety valve has been sort of vital to this offense. So the fact that she led the team in shot attempts in game two seemed really significant to me. What What are your thoughts about Brunson and the game she played and the changes made? Well, I think it's always, you know, makes the team more dynamic when you can add as many possible threats as they can. And, I mean, it reminds me of what uh, Coach Reeves said yesterday, too, about you know, when she was asked about defending L.A. And she goes, well, we're pretty hard to defend, too. And, I mean, they know that they're going to be gunning for, you know, more fouls, Augustus, Waylon. And you have Rebecca Brunson. I mean, that makes such a big difference. It kind of offsets a night when you just have seven points off the bench. It's just, you know, a nice um, fail-safe to have to fall back on. It's sort of a remarkable thing that she, and I've written about this as well earlier in the year, has turned herself into this stretch four. But L.A. has clearly made a decision that they're going to let Brunson be someone who beats them on offense. And, you know, the other way of looking at that is a top 15, top 20 player in the history of the league now has a chance uncontested to alter a series. It's really sort of a remarkable thing for Minnesota just from an offensive weapon standpoint. Well, it's funny. If you went back to the clip you can listen to where Candace Parker is yelling at Naneka Gumake, I think, to lock her down and talking about Rebecca Brunson right. because of just the volume that she was getting, which is, you know, crazy on a team that has, you know, a number of other stars as well. And it just r- runs into a situation where every time that happens, it's that much easier for Sylvia Fowles to operate. It's just an absolute uh, nightmare of a decision to be made. But I, I want to talk about other side of the ball too. And Ben, let- let's bring you in here for this one, which is that remarkably to me, to see Candace Parker and Necker Dwumke, two of the more efficient players, Necker especially a year removed from the most efficient shooting season in the history of the league, to go 0 for 11 and a half. What did you see Minnesota do that allowed that to happen? And how singular is that in your experience, you know, watching the Sparks play? Yeah, it was it was definitely one of the things I was I was turning and, and talking to people next to me about. Um like I think she got she got blocked three times, which you just you just mm-hmm. don't see because she's able to get. I mean, she gets her shot off so well, and mm-hmm. she's just 
rarely uh, she's rarely bothered by anyone who's ever nearby. Um, I think it's just I mean I think it's just the MVP being the MVP. I mean uh, Sylvia Fowles is, has been able to hang on the basket. She has been in foul trouble this series, and you know as much as Brunson, you know Brunson and Waylon maybe you know took the headlines as the people who really responded, but you know Fowles just as much. She was there and. I think a little bit this series, a little bit more. We're seeing that fouls, well, in Minnesota at large, just isn't isn't as afraid to kind of let Neca shoot if that's what's going to happen from the outside. But that you know we're seeing in these first two games that Sylvia Fowles is going to be at the rim, you know, for whoever's going to come by. I mean, that's what's fun about both these teams, really. You know, is that there are no choices you can make to shut everybody down. I mean, even when you think about the adjustments, and Derek, I'll go back to you on this, but from Chelsea Gray with that unbelievable performance, I mean, one of the better finals performances you'll ever see to come up with 27 points to do it on 15 shots and hit the game winner uh, with a hand in, in her face, uh, that will go down in history. But you know, she still was effective in game two. Still got ten shots. Minnesota's not able to do the thing that they do against just about everyone else, which is not just uh, defend what that team wants to do most, but really take it away. There, there's no way to do that. There's no way to take away all of the very good options LA has. You know, any more than vice versa that it's possible to do that. But what did you see out of what Lindsey Whalen was able to do defensively against Chelsea Gray? Well, I think it's just, you know, Lindsay is such a competitor, and she just has this intensity on the floor. And I just noticed, you know, a lot she would really play passing lanes incredibly well. Offensively, she was aggressive getting into the lane. And you got to figure now she's played, what, five, this is her fifth game back from injury. So, her you know, her lungs got to be back now. And just a, you just tell from that first swooping reverse layup that she hit to start the game that, she was locked in, and to get 14 points from Lindsey Whalen is an incredible bonus that really helped them out. I mean, she got seven in just the first quarter. I mean, I don't know if that happens for the rest of the season, but if you can get that kind of performance out of Lindsey Whalen and have everyone else playing fairly well as well, that's just a huge boost for the team. It's funny to think of her as an offensive afterthought when she's one of the great offensive players in the, <laughs> in the history of the league, but you're right. I mean, it's just what this team needs or doesn't need at any given moment. I, I want to talk about two of the more interesting things. I want to sort of take each of it in turn. Uh, but to me, what's fascinating about these games one and two is that we're seeing massive head starts by one team and then the other. And at mm-hmm. when you have overall an issue where these two teams are very clearly evenly matched, as we see ultimately the fact that you know they're separated by a point in game one and two points in game two, I guess let's take it each in turn. Ben, what did you see in Game 1 that allowed L.A. to get out to that kind of 28-2 to margin, which ultimately led to what would have been the greatest comeback in the history of the WNBA? I, I, the good people at Elias let us know about that. Yeah, it, it was it was shocking just to, to watch it because, you know, it's not like that stretch wasn't, broken up by a few timeouts but <laughs> it just it just kind of it just kept going and you kind of wondered how long that would last um it, i i i don't want to 
I don't want to dig too deep into it and overcomplicate. I mean, I think at large, it's just like you, it's just you made shots. Um, Minnesota did after rewatching Game One. It did look like Minnesota did kind of they did press at times. You know, they took took a couple early shots because you know it was brought up. You know, rightfully so that you know fouls didn't get super involved in that early stretch, and that had a lot to do with it. Is they you know maybe being flustered a little bit, they took some early shots that they would have rather been patient uh, to find something better. Um, but LA was able to grab it and go, and it's not, you know, um, with LA, it's not they're all it's not that they're always going, but when they get a chance, you know, they're going to be as good as anyone to push and and look for an early shot. It's really fascinating, and and it is a logical thing that Cheryl has done is to reconfigure her offense over this multi-season span to run through Sill because Sill is someone who's capable of facilitating, capable of passing out of the double teams, and obviously is you know so deadly around the basket. But it does mean that Minnesota doesn't necessarily have an alternate road to being uh, comfortable running that offense if it's not going through Sill. Uh, and so to the extent that L.A. is able to uh, block that path, uh, obviously they're able to be really successful defensively. Uh, that seems like it was a short-term uh, ability, but it'll be interesting whether they're able to over the final three games. And then just, Derek, you know, from your perspective, you know, I know we talked a little bit about Lindsay and what she was able to do early on, but did you see anything defensively that really stood out to you that allowed Minnesota to limit L.A. the way they had. I, I think they ended up with 10 points in the first quarter of Game 2. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it was just, it reminded me a lot of what the Sparks did to the Lynx in Game 1 to start. Mm-hmm. I mean, they didn't allow the Sparks to grab any rebounds, just like the Lynx didn't have any rebounds in the for, first quarter of Game 1. They forced a lot of tough shots, and L.A. actually hit more shots early on than the Lynx did. Not many more, but... You know, it was it was a pretty similar strategy that they had. And I think just when you couple that with I mean Cheryl Brevis talked about this where, you know, the the off the defense leads to the offense. And if, you know, you're able to keep your opponent on their heels and keep them from getting their feet set, that makes a big difference rather than if they can get in position you're not there. And the Lynx really did thrive off that. Sylvia Fouts had four rebounds in the first few minutes of the game. I mean, that's huge. You know, if your shots aren't falling, and I mean, the Sparks shot 38 percent on the game overall, and it really started with the defense, and that tone was really <laughs> You know, it's interesting when you think about the defensive end of things too, because it's another area where these two teams—they're one and two in the league uh, in terms of defensive efficiency, but also so far there's been a virtual even battle on the turnover side of things. And that's what happened last night in Game 2. You had each team with 12 turnovers in turn. Do you think, and Ben, I'll throw this out to you, do you think there is a team that is more capable defensively of these two? Or, you know, when we talk a lot about the offensive weapons, do you think these teams are evenly matched at the defensive end as well in terms of capabilities and upside? I think so. I mean, they, I mean, they've they've both been ranked one, two, and they've you know had had a little bit of a cushion between between everybody else. Um, you know, you just there are little little things you see um, that I'm sure continuity has a lot to do with it, experience has a lot to do with it. 
Um, you know, Gumake and Parker had a couple had a couple lines at a couple different press conferences in the playoffs. You know, crediting Coach Agler and what what he's brought to the table and and how they focused on that end. Um, I just think I think, but I think versatility in the front court has a lot to do with it. I mean, just both teams at the four or five spots. Um, you know, all four of those players they're able to alter shots at the rim. They move their feet well. You know, you can see them talking all the time. Um, and just you can't – it's tough to replace that, but then, you know, at the same time, you got to give credit to the people on the perimeter. Obviously, Elena Beard, the Defensive Player of the Year, and, and you know, Maya Moore, I think, um, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty up there as well among some of the best in the league. No question about it. I mean, the defensive versatility is remarkable at both ends. Let, let's, let's leave things here because uh, I'm really curious. And for me, aesthetically, watching these games – you know, I find myself, you know, trying to sort of uh, draw back and see the hole. And then there are different points in the game where I really focus on individuals because there are all these individual players who are doing such interesting things. When you think about game three and what comes next in this chess match between two of the best coaches we're ever going to see in this league, if you were focused on one player as helping to be determinative for game three, who would it be? And for both of you, I, I'll, I'll start with you, Derek, on either team. Who would you focus on first and foremost for Game 3? Oh, first and foremost, I think this team, well, I mean, I mean, Candace Parker's been so incredible just this entire series. I mean, she just does everything, but, you know, look at the website, but Simone Augustus is really the one that stands out to me. I mean, what she did in the semifinals. I mean, it's just having her outside shooting. I mean, oh, you know what, Derek? We're, you're breaking up on us a little bit. Oh, shoot. Oh, now I got you. Do I even, yeah. Okay, good, good. So, yeah, I think Simone Augustus, I mean, what she brought to the Washington series in the last round, I mean, I think they need to get more from her again. And, I mean, there's a lot to be said for going against that L.A. defense. And they're take, try, probably trying to take her out of it and make life as difficult as possible. But when she had her shot going in the Washington series, it made a difference. Yeah, and, and so I mean, if she can get that going on the road, that'd be huge. And Simone, another thing that's key about Simone is that you know L.A. breaks up your rhythm. And that's what they do at the defensive end. That's a big part of what you know what Brian Adler preaches. And Simone, being one of the best ISO players in the league, she offers an opportunity to find a way to get that found offense at, at uh, high efficiency in a way that isn't necessarily dependent on Minnesota running through Sill, Minnesota running what they typically run. So I, so I think you're right. I think there's a lot to that. Ben, what about you? What, what, who, if you had to focus on one player for game three, either team, who would it be? Uh, I mean, I would, I would stick, stick to one of the game two heroes and say Lindsay Whalen. I think when she's, when she's looking to score the ball, like we saw in that game last night, it just, it loosens everything up, which I think is, you know, Coach Reeves said something to that effect uh, afterwards. Because Minnesota is so good with, with if they have Maya run around, run around screens, Simone Augustus doing the same thing. At the same time, Fowles is always looking to duck in. But then, you know, who's the person with the ball in their hands as a lot of that's going on? It's Waylon. So if she's aggressive looking to, you know, knock down those pull-ups or even get all the way to the rim, it's, it's you know everything's really working in concert, which we saw for 
for, for that key stretch in the first half last night. Yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I I am eagerly anticipating who will step forward next as the next hero because it's everyone out on the court. You know, they've shortened their benches. Everyone out on the court has such a ridiculous resume and is playing at such a peak level. Uh, boy, it's hard to imagine anything any better than this. Last thing before I let you go, this series, you know, after last year going five, this series just feels destined to go five. You know, if there's a basketball god, it has to go five. You both think we're we're going to be back talking about a game five? I think if the Lynx win on Friday, we get five. I think if the Sparks get it with another game in L.A., I mean, it, we, we might be lucky to get it to five Fair in that enough. case just because they've lost once in, at Staples Center all year long. It's a tough place to play, even for the Lynx. It sure is. And, Ben, what about you? You think we're going five? Yeah, I think so. I mean, we already we already saw these teams, you know, win in each other's place last year, mm-hmm. and you know, after seeing a split right away, and both teams seeing them go on runs and being able to crawl back into games when it seems like maybe you know when it's twenty plus and it seems like it might be too much, they find a way. So, yeah, I and mean, I, I don't see any reason to think that you know these teams are going to be able to split these next two. Boy, I sure hope so. And and just a reminder to our listeners, you can follow Ben's work at Split the Post on Twitter. You can follow Derek's work at Derek James, D-E-R-E-K, James NBA. Both of them continue covering the series uh, over at the Summit and cannot recommend them highly enough as follows uh, and, quite frankly, as people. So thank you all for listening. Uh, thank you both. I'll be uh, talking to you plenty in the days ahead as well. And a reminder to our listeners, of course, go ahead and follow us at Summit Hoops. Uh, like us on Facebook and make sure that you're listening uh, to every podcast as it comes out and reading everything we have on our apps as well. I'm Howard Megdahl wishing you a wonderful day.